0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.
1: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 16-123. 116 That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
0: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love.
3: Welcome to the Be Sotted Pride of West London podcast. It's like a cup double this week. We're out of one cup and back into another cup. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're in a virtual joint with um, myself, Dave Lane. And um, joining me this afternoon, I have Nick Carview,
2: Liberal Nick. How are you, Liberal? I'm very well, Dave. Very well. Uh, just slightly uh, muffled head because uh, had a couple of delicious mallow, marshmallow porters during the game last night, which is having its effect today. But, you know, it's wearing off as of the day goes on.
3: Yeah, but you can still remember the whole game, can you? Yep, very clearly. OK, cool. And also in the virtual joint is Robin, Robin Hood. Michael, how are you, Robin?
0: Uh, I didn't have as many porters as Nick, by the sounds of it, uh, last night. But uh, I was on the diet, coca colas instead. Um, but yeah, feeling okay. Uh, woke up with uh, an unexpected sense of optimism, I'd say, um, given the circumstances and given it was a of what transpired yesterday. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling positive. Um, had a nice day and gone for a run around uh, the New Griffin Park as well. So uh, yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling very Brentfordy. Okay, so, which right. is always
3: a good feeling that's all right i mean because i you know going out of the the cup in the in the semi-final i would imagine that you know in normal circumstances it would all be down in the dumps really you know it was uh uh we would have been there ourselves. We would have had um, a skin probably in the afternoon and <laughs> and really really kind of celebrated the moment. But in the end, I you know I, I, I sat here like everyone else did. Um, We're well not here, but sat at home and uh, kind of it, it was all just a little bit surreal. Really, I mean you know it was just like I was set, settling down to watch a movie or Netflix. The box sale or something, you know, mm. um, the the whole the whole magnitude of the match seemed to kind of like just go. It was just like any other game, um, which you know maybe it was just me. Maybe other people felt differently. I don't know, but uh, you know I think it, think it helped the nerves as well. I, 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 I certainly wasn't nervous. And you know, the, as the players were warming up, um, they they all looked kind of quite happy as well. And I don't know if you I don't know if you all noticed, but uh, when they they came out of the changing room. They kept Spurs waiting for a little bit, it looked like. And they they all lined up and no one looked at the Spurs team whatsoever. I don't know if that was, you know, just um, a tactic or whether that was kind of uh, just a way of coping with it, just come out and look forward, I don't know. But, uh, you know, from then on, I thought Brentford kind of looked... Like in their comfort zone, they didn't look like overawed by the, uh, the occasion at all or the stadium. So, uh, you know, yeah. So as I said, it was it was just a bit surreal. You know, obviously we, we're going to talk about the game a lot, but you know, what, what how are your feelings before the game, Nick?
2: Yeah, I mean that's exactly the same. I mean, it's the first time ever that we've, I've been going to the stadium for a big game half an hour before it's due to kick off. Normally we're the ones running up the stairs at <laughs> very last nice minute, having left the pub too late. So that was good. Um, but second point, I, have, I reflecting on what you were saying about the players coming out just slightly late and not looking at the Spurs team, because the big takeaway from the game for me last night was that we didn't look overawed um, and we didn't freeze. I mean, some of the games we played, the, the big games, he says in inverted commas, we've had in recent years, we just haven't put on a display. We haven't um, looked our normal confident selves. Last night, as you say, minute minute we started kicking off, Brentford felt at home, even in that fantastic stadium what the new Spurs ground looks like. Um, it almost rivals Lionel Road in its beauty.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, it did look beautiful. So yeah, obviously we're going to speak a lot about the Spurs match in a minute. Obviously, it's uh, you know it was, a, it was a it was a very very big part of our season. It's been a very big part of uh, our Brentford in Live. None of us have been to this stage in the cup competition before. So obviously that's going to take up the first chunk of this podcast. Um, we're also going to look at uh, the game that never happened last weekend: Bristol City's uh, postponement bottling out the whatever of of, of the of the, the covid scare that what doesn't seem to have materialized into anything there's been a, a few developments today so we'll we'll go back and we'll look at the the, the, the circumstances surrounding that game being pulled um, there's some loan signings we need to talk about um and some rumors in and around uh you know uh, whether players are going to Kind of stay or come or, or or you know we've got the rest of january to kind of brace ourselves hopefully no one's going to come in and buy any players from us but uh you never know um so the transfer window firmly open and obviously we've got the middlesbrough fa cup game and we'll be speaking to a borough fan about that and obviously we'll be sharing our own thoughts on another cup run potentially so we'll have a little twang and then we'll come back and then we'll speak all about Spurs. So, Robin, the game, how did it pan out compared to how you expected
0: it? Uh, Almost exactly as I expected it, to be honest. I think um, in the build-up, I was watching an interview with Mr Sissoko and he Uh, he basically said well the game plan for Tottenham was to go out get an early goal and then make sure we show Brentford enough respect because they can be quite dangerous and I sort of heard that and thought okay that's that's exactly how I think the game plan is going to go and sure enough they went out got an early goal and then I think paid us the respect by having to play quite well against us Um, I thought particularly in midfield it was a hell of a battle Um, we'll get to the refereeing performance later on but um, yeah I expected um, a bit more of a defensive Mourinho performance than we actually got. I think it's maybe a testament to his th- the squad that he's got that he can go a bit more attacking from the off rather than. Parking the bus, bus as it were, but I thought I thought the game panned out as expected. I thought we we gave a great account of ourselves. Uh, we certainly looked like we be we belonged there uh, in that level of competition. Um, and having seen some Premiership games this season, um, some of the opponents that Tottenham have had, I don't think would have been able to hold a candle to us yesterday. Uh, so the game, the game, whilst the result was disappointing, it was kind of expected. We're going against the best strike force in arguably in Europe and one of the best managers in well football history arguably as well so yeah i was i was i was not surprised by how the game panned out nick
2: um,
3: the the team selection you know we we spoke quite a bit um, in the like the pre-match podcast about what we expected and um, whether brentford should go uh, full full strength. Whether we should rest some players, whether we should give uh, some of the squad that have got us to this stage their you know their opportunity um, in in the semi final. Uh, were you relieved that uh, Thomas Frank went as, as as strong as he he possibly could?
2: I'm not certain. I was relieved. I think that I mean Bristol City game being off really helped us um, and made the decision easy for Thomas Frank. In that. We had to play our very strongest team, and that we did put out last night. Um, you know, actually, I I would argue that probably, despite what happened, we it was better not to have Pontus playing last night. I mean, you know, he he's of course injured, and, and wasn't even on the bench. But given the speed, as Robin has mentioned, of Kane and Son, I think actually Pontus maybe would have um, had a harder job dealing with them than, than Mads Vexoris and Ethan did. Uh, on the night so no I, I the only person I do feel a bit sorry for is, is, is Luke Daniels I mean I think he probably did feel a bit peeved off because he's done nothing wrong whenever he's come in he's looked very secure very confident there's no reason to doubt that he would have um, he wouldn't have done anything different to Raya. although I say that Raya did make one goal saving real uh, saved a certain goal um, or, or last night, but you know, there's no reason to think that, that, that Luke Daniels couldn't have done that at all. So no, I'm I'm happy that we, we turned out. I, I feel sorry for Daniels. The rest would have got experience of being on the bench, but you know, yeah, no, good. to Thomas for playing football.
3: I mean, it was obviously a, a great test for the for the first team. We we've seen that we can raise our game in, in the, the games in recent weeks, especially the, the Watford match and the, uh, the Bournemouth game, where we've, we've met the sternest test in the championship and we've kind of shown our, 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 our you know, promotion credentials there. So to do that on the stage at the, you know, the Tottenham Hotspur New Stadium and against arguably one of the best teams in the league this season, um, I was I was kind of like really, really encouraged by that. Um, we didn't freeze, as I said. You know, when we when we came out, it looked like we were focused. Um, do you do you think, Robin, that we were you know a bit cagey? And I and I, I use the word cagey. And I, I think I think we all realised that we had to stay in this game. That the, 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 the semi final wasn't about showing how pretty Brent, football Brentford can play. It wasn't about showing you know how expansive and all the flicks and tricks and our, our whole portfolio of skills. This was about trying to get to a cup final. This was about staying in the game, not going gung ho, not letting Son and Kane rip us apart. Um, You know, so it was, were were you kind of expecting that kind of performance, Robin?
0: Um, I wouldn't describe it as cagey, to be honest. I thought we we were still trying to play out from the back. I was shouting at the TV when you Mads Beck and Ethan Pinnock were trying to play the sort of tippy-tappy football with the full backs, knock it back to rare. I don't think we were cagey at all. I think, if anything, we were almost trying to play our style too much, and against uh, strikers with the pressing calibre of Lucas Moore Harry Kane and Son, I thought it was we were at great danger of conceding a goal from that I thought we were I thought I think we certainly didn't play with the same in, the, in particularly in the first half with the same sort of attacking flair that we normally do and I think that's all credit to the, the opponents for stifling that I don't think but I don't think it was cagey necessarily I think the the, the performance itself lended itself to being uh, a cup semi-final against a very good team Thomas Frank didn't you could see Thomas Frank didn't send them out there to just play the Brentford way, and if we lose, oh well. You know, he, he went, he played, he played the game to try and win it uh, from the offset. So yeah, I wouldn't describe it as cagey.
2: Okay. It would be really interesting to see what would have happened if it been the normal style, where it'd be the two-legged semi-final.
3: Yeah, yeah, you know, I think what Thomas um, said to the press before uh, kickoff he, he, he obviously it looked like he was relieved it was only a one-leg match. Um, I think that gave us the best chance if it, if it was going to happen. Then, you know, to do it in a, in a one-off match was probably more, you know, more uh, realistic than doing that over two legs, especially against that team. So, yeah, I think um, that's one thing that did go in our favour. Um, to find ourselves a goal down... Um, did you fear the worst at that stage, Nick?
2: No, I thought because actually I thought we had almost a better start start to the game, and in a way that was slightly—I mean, only only slightly—against the run of play with the, the goal they scored. It was a bad, it was a bad defensive area. John had picked picked up the player coming in, the cross came in, and you know it was an easy goal to score with the head, uh, and I was disappointed in the defence. So, and that, I think, did knock our spirit for about 10 minutes. But, you know, on the whole, uh, I wasn't too disappointed up until that point. And and moving on from the goal as well, nobody panicked. So, there wasn't the sort of the feeling of, you know, they're now going to start running up a cricket score. Um, Absolutely no way. We still battled in the game on that.
3: And, Robin, it was, I guess, you know, I, most ideal to get back into the game as quickly as we could but if we couldn't do that it was about getting to half time not conceding again we, 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 we managed to do that and then second half it was quite eventful wasn't it um, there's, there's you know most of the talking points from the Brentford perspective perspective came after the break we have to we have to talk about the equaliser how did you go potty or did you did you sniff a VAR incident about to emerge
0: I think I can I can now empathise and sympathise with every Premiership football fan because obviously we are not accustomed at at Brentford to being uh, to having VAR so when the when the goal went in I, I thought it, my first instinct is oh well he's offside surely he's standing on the goal line basically but we have scored hooray and just and went absolute ballistic i jumped up started running around my living room and then after 10 15 seconds i went oh crap we've there's var isn't there so um yeah it's 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 a very brentford thing to happen if with our first experience of var working against us um i think yeah the equalizer i thought it was it was the typical brentford corner i think if any opposition coaches listening to this Brentford's corners are back post to Ethan Pinnock nodded back across goal it's it's a routine that's worked constantly beforehand so I saw it coming and then when we executed it I was I was ecstatic but yeah the the VAR um, loomed heavily like the cloud that it is and um, yeah it, it was it was it was kind of written in the stars that we were going to have a VAR decision go against us
3: and it just I mean it, as you say it's it's it sod's law isn't it that the first chance the first you know the first time we've come up against VAR it's going to it's going to actually cost us something like that and mm. you know and in a, in the previous rounds or any of the previous rounds that's that goal was given the goal stands so that's one all and then to rub salt into the wound what an incident that the referee didn't even give a foul for was then pulled back and justa Silva was sent off Nick, did you again fear the worst as soon as uh, as, soon as the referee went over to that monitor? It was obvious something sinister was about to happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's get back to the question of VAR. There are two things that really make me angry across about this. One is that the integrity of the competition, um, if you have, why do you suddenly introduce VAR in the semi final of the competition? Um, that, you know, if you if you if you're gonna introduce it from the start, fine, but VAR isn't suitable for Division Two grounds or you know, and, and therefore is not introduced to that. And then secondly, you know, that goal, it was if you need trigonometry to decide whether or not a goal was scored, then that is not football in my eyes. Absolutely bloody ridiculous. Um so therefore, VAR should only be used when there has been a clear and obvious error, uh, or where something has been clearly missed. And in the case of JDS's sending off, actually tackle the referee, Wright Riley, missed that. And I think rightly his attention was drawn to it. He was asked to go over and have a look at it on the screen. And actually, when you looked at it, it was des- it, you know it was deserving of a red card. It wasn't a malicious tackle. It wasn't it. Josh De Silva didn't mean to do it, but what happened was deserving of a red card, and that's exactly where, if you've got to have VAR, and I, as I say, I don't like it at all. That's the type of thing where VAR comes in in in, in useful. But to w- measure whether somebody's kneecap is ahead of somebody's foot is a effing disgrace. You're happy.
3: You're happy with the decision or the use of VAR for the sending off. But, but not the goal, which is, you know, I, I, I get that. I mean, you know, I, I don't think anyone's ever going to agree completely on, on VAR. Um, but, you know, looking at that challenge again, you know, it's clear that he didn't, it wasn't a malicious um, assault. But when you when you clearly leave the, those rake marks down someone's shin, you know that something's gone a little bit wrong. It's the kind of challenge you would make, Robin, on a, on a pitch.
0: Yeah, ask Ed, ask Ed Langdon. I'm sure he'll be able to tell you a few of those. Um, yeah, I'm I'm going to mirror Nick's um, opinion exactly, which is uh, not not normal <laughs> in these circumstances. Um, yeah, I thought um, the way it was used for the Josh De Silva, um, ch- I'm going to call it a challenge because I think I think the way it was used for that is how VAR should be used. He's missed something that's clearly and obviously a red card offence. As much as I hate to say it, it was a red card. But like I said, with the equaliser, it's 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 a catastrophe. Like it's it's VAR. I'm, I don't necessarily agree with the outcome of the decision. At the end of the day, his, his if you know his kneecap is in a, a, an offside an offside position compared to the last defender's anatomy, mm-hmm. therefore it's offside. Okay, I don't have any real problem with that. But VAR should not be sucking the life out of football with that kind of microscopic decision it's it's it, it's not clear or obvious you, you know you wouldn't have held it against the linesman or the re- the linesman or the referee for missing that it's a tough decision to call so you give the benefit of the doubt to the human error whereas with uh, with a big with a big challenge that leaves um, Hoiberg's knee bloody then yeah you, you you have to pull that up and that's what VAR should be used for um but yeah the whole concept of VAR is really really killing the killing the joy of football i think
3: and talking of Hoiberg, he was he was livid. You know, he, he he looked like he was gonna absolutely properly lose it. I I can't say I blame him, but you know, it, you looking down at your your shin, you don't know. You know, I'm sure it was agony. Um, mm. But I guess to his credit and to Tottenham's credit and to. Uh, Thomas Frank's credit I'd say because I don't know if you saw at the final whistle, yeah. Thomas Frank went up to him and they had arms around each other and obviously they were speaking in Danish and he I think he probably you know calmed it all down and you've seen the tweet uh, that Hoyberg sent out as a response to Justice Silva which I thought was really classy Robin, didn't you?
0: Yeah it was absolutely class, I think it's, um, it's how football should be done um, I think th- obviously in the heat of the moment, if you get someone's boot wraps around your your shin and then it starts bleeding. Obviously, I completely understand Hoiberg's reaction. I think in the aftermath of the uh, incident, Dalsgaard calmed him down. After the game, Frank calmed him down. But I think the way it shows his professionalism as a player and I think probably the professionalism that... um, It should be applauded for this for in this day and age of actually publicly saying, not just, yeah, don't worry, mate. I knew knew it wasn't intentional, but also then saying, you've got a hell of a career ahead of you. I think it's just a real uh sportsmanship move, real, really courteous. And Hoibo should be commended for that.
3: The cynic in me says it's just because they won, but there you go, (laughs) Nick. Nick, someone who's almost as contentious as yourself is um, Jose Mourinho. So he said some almost, he almost said some almost nice things about us before the game, but I don't think he actually knew who we was playing. I don't think he ever mentioned the word Brentford once, but um, he did say after the game that we were probably, probably. Going to be going back to Tottenham next year when league points were at stake. So he, he, was, he was, he seemed to um, be impressed with us with the videos that he watched before the game and our performance on the night. So he gave us some props there. What, what did you think of, of
2: I Jose? Think, I think Jose Mourinho is um, underappreciated. Um, the, he is after Sir Alex Ferguson. He is probably the second greatest manager ever to 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 manage in the premiership not because he's necessarily the greatest tactician, although he's, he's very good at that not necessarily because he is the um uh, the best plays the best football gets his teams playing the best football but for the simple fact that what he does is he absolutely makes a story about himself and not about his football clubs um i you know he is a proven proven winner um, around the world, um, around Europe and in, and in this country. And I think that what he said last night about us was complimentary. I do think he did know who who Brentford were. I think that he set up his team and sent them out, you know, to stifle some of our threat. I think that in his pre-match press conference, he paid us, as well as his post-match press conference, he paid us um, due, due respect. Um, and, you know, he winds people up uh, and he knows he winds people up and he plays some dour and, and, and pretty boring football to watch at times. But the world would be a poorer place without managers like Jose you know, Mourinho.
3: So you say he's probably the second best manager in the Premiership history. Is he better than, better than Felix McGath? You
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was also yeah and who was who was the guy at Watford who went um, uh, the, yeah no I can't remember his name now but yeah no I mean you know. so, so the other, the other thing that I
3: have to say the other thing that stood out from watching the game before um, we can talk about we all watched it on telly was Sam Saunders I thought he stepped up to the mark I thought, I thought he looked uh, very much in his comfort zone alongside Jamie Redknapp Jamie Redknapp looked positively worried Robin didn't you
0: yeah I think it's not many people that can wear a suit next to Jamie Redknapp and and Give him a run for his money, I must say. Um, I thought, yeah, he, he he looked he looked he looked like he belonged there. in a in a weird sort of metaphor and similarity to the way Brentford approached the Tottenham game, and we didn't look out of place. I thought Sam Saunders um, gave a really good account of himself. I thought he was, whilst he obviously is associated very heavily with Brentford, you know, Spurs was is. His, um, his home team as well or his boyhood club and yeah I think he looked like he really enjoyed it so yeah it was a weird sort of mirror image of what was happening in the recording studio with what was happening on the on the pitch at um, at Tottenham's new, new stadium.
2: I'm not, sure, I'm not certain that the hierarchy of our club would be too happy about Sam Ravini who's up for transfer
0: yeah, in, that was... in the
2: summer but apart from that yeah
3: well uh, yeah I'm going to get to that because there was a kind of yeah he did hint at something he didn't give too much away but he did hint at something and uh, you know I think J- Jamie's hair looked extra dyed compared to Sam's as well so, uh, <laughs> I, don't know I, don't, I don't know if that's a bit bitchy but it did Yeah, I have to say it did it's, says um, the
2: man with grey hair here.
3: yeah no exactly um the commentary wasn't brilliant, though, was it?
0: Um, can I? How can I put this politely? Um, I think um, I think my left arse cheek could do a better job commentating than Andy Hinchcliffe. Um, I just I think sometimes. I, I, I understand commentators saying things just to get a rise and sort of be controversial or whatever. But he, the way the way he sort of words things, like when Josh De Silva made that challenge, um, which was, you know, I think anyone who is, you know, even not Brentford and who understands football knows that he's done a skill, he's slipped, and he's and his his foot has, has landed there. It's a red card. It's a bit clumsy, but it's not intentional. And Hinchcliffe was mouthing off as though he was a war criminal it was it was it was apocalyptically bad and i just i genuinely wonder why and how someone like him is allowed to commentate where there are some absolutely fantastic uh color commentators and co-commentators out there yeah
3: we do was, we, was, we, we, we do, do all right out normally there is, is normally uh, a brentford loving uh, exactly exactly yeah that's, uh, that's uh, right. but if you, but you, but if I, you look I, at I the opposition agree. when
2: sky are on they always complain about the brentford loving so let's just like
3: it, I just can't believe how uh, we sound like we're just kind of part-time football fans. here. Yeah, we're just talking about the, the, the TV coverage. We're kind of like armchair supporters. It sounds, you know, we sound like we're Man United supporters from five years ago. This not going to the game. It's not. It's not great, is it?
0: Yeah, we're going to need to get a fashion department in to have a look at the kits and the warming up attire and things like that. I, I,
2: I tell you, the minute uh, we so 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 miss being in that stadium last night. That was the only depressing thing about the game was not being there to cheer the boys on last night.
0: I have a slightly different view of that. I think it's. I'm really, really. It's a real shame that we weren't there. Certainly, but I think if we'd have gone one nil down at the time we had, and then a, a, a state, an entire full stadium had erupted full of Spurs fans, I think that would have been tougher on us. I think that the, the, the lack of Spurs fans certainly helped us. I think adapt when you know adapt and address the fact that we've gone one nil down after 10 minutes.
3: Right. So we've we've kind of picked a lot of that Spurs game apart. I, mean, I think we probably move on because it's, it's something that we have to do now. We're not going to go to the final, but we're not going to cry. Um, but before the twang, we're going to listen to Jonathan Birchall. He's, he's got his funky stats section. So Jonathan, Jonathan Birchall's funk is going to happen. You're um, you're a bit funk curious, aren't you, Robin?
0: Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. And Liberal,
2: uh, <laughs> you're... Yeah, I know I, know, I know Billy. Really I love this. As, as everybody
0: knows, I love the stats.
2: So, so bring them on, bring them on. Hello, Jonathan Birchall here again. So our record-breaking League Cup run comes to an end, but our four in competition has been steadily
1: improving over the last few years. In fact, the previous tie where we failed to score and conceded two or more goals
2: was back in August 2015, when we lost four 0 to Oxford at a Mariners by Cowden. Another consequence of Tuesday night is Joshua Josh Silva won't be in the Matchday squad for the next three games. That's something that hasn't happened since he made his first appearance for us in November 2018, 114 games ago. But he's had a long season already, playing 32 games for us in England in the last 17 weeks. We now go from League Cup to FA Cup in successive games, for only the second time in our history. The previous was in 1982 when we beat Swansea in the League Cup third round replay 2-1, before winning in the FA Cup first round 7-0 against Windsor and Eton three days later. And we had the same starting eleven in both.
3: OK, yeah, welcome back. So last Saturday, last weekend, we were due to play Bristol City. Uh, We'd just beaten Bournemouth uh, on the Wednesday night and our tails were up. And although we knew we had this big game uh, on Tuesday night against Spurs in the uh, League Cup semi-final, we all know that the league itself is our priority. Getting up uh, and getting as many points uh, as we can while we're on good form is, is critical to us. So although there were, although there was a kind of like silver lining to a game not happening, and we could put probably the strongest team out. On, on Tuesday, we probably would have done it anyway, but there was a you know there was there was a chance to rest at the weekend. I personally didn't think it was ideal, and I and I think most Brentford fans would, would have preferred the game to have happened. When you're on good form, you want the matches to come round as quickly as as quickly as possible. Yeah, we all know that the, the players need rest, but it's the same for all of them. And we knew that Bristol City were on a stinky run; they had uh, an injury crisis, and their fans were saying that Brentford were going to steamroll at them. So, you know, that's not to say that we would have turned up and it would have happened. We've, we've all gone to games before thinking it was an absolute dead cert and we've been frustrated. So, you know, it wasn't a gimme, but I think there was a, you know, Brentford would have smelt blood and I, I think we would have, you know, we would have got three points. Whether it was a 1-0 or a 10-0, who cared? I think, you know, Getting, getting, uh, getting another win was just brilliant. And keeping the pressure up at the top of the division, uh, not letting anyone sort of take a stick, making a steal on us, and getting three, six, nine points ahead um, when it wasn't our fault. Anyway, so so Friday, it's we 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 hear that there's a um, potentially a uh, a COVID outbreak um, in the Bristol City camp. Which obviously is worrying news. Um, you know, the, the players' safety and well-being and their families is is paramount here. We we all know that it's a you know it's a it's a terrible disease and uh, the implications can be really bad if you if you get particularly you know uh, you know a, a sort of very strong reaction to to it. Um, so obviously, we the first reaction is we were kind of hoping that Bristol City were all alright. Then there started to be a few strange developments. Instead of the games, the other games that had been called off because of COVID, were all being called postponed. And the Bristol City match, it seemed to be that they'd made a decision unanimously because the, the, the test center that they normally use wasn't open on New Year's Day. So they called the match off but it was suspended so we were all worrying or kind of questioning what, what this actually meant and then once you started to look around it started to kind of just not add up the other teams in the region were able to get COVID tested um, no one else was saying that their test centres were shut um, Bristol though it's you know it's not London it's hardly the back of beyond and you know if testing needs to happen and you can drive somewhere surely yeah somewhere else is open um or if if it's a professional football team or a professional sports team you make sure that someone is in on 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 you know a bank holiday to 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 do that okay no one wants to work on new year's eve but we're in a pandemic and this as i said it's their professional football team so some some of us nick for example and you know on the whatsapp group you seemed to be, at the time, a little bit kind of concerned that anyone would suggest that anything was afoot here. Um, others of us were kind of a little bit more suspicious about it. Um, but as time has kind of gone past, there's been no more uh, news, Well, not until today, there's no more news about this outbreak um, in Bristol City. Um, and it was kind of like... Well, if if it's severe enough for a game to be called off, surely the press would be all over it. You know, the the, the results would have been out or if it was that bad, then obviously the games were going to be called off for a longer amount of time. Um, Today, um, Bristol City coach Dean Holden, he held... well, during the during the press conference for the for the for the fa cup games this weekend um he answered some press questions on the postponement timeline and i'll i'll, I'll read out what he said actually it's a bit of a smell a I'll, I'll, hold on. I'll, I'll read it. i'll read it anyway
0: i was yeah, getting something as well yeah yeah Hold on, i'll, I'll read it so actually so, the farmers uh, must be muck spreading
3: around there, uh, well, yeah well hold on let me let me read it I'm gonna, let's, let's see what so we came in on Friday for a normal preparation day to do some video analysis and some out on grass training. And it was clear that out on the grass, there were some symptoms in the squad. God, God, was <laughs> really, can you, is that you, is that you Robbie? <laughs> oh um So we, we weren't able to do any tests on New Year's day ahead of the game on Saturday. We ca- so we carried on as normal. We got about 55 minutes into the journey. So they'd left the training ground to to come up to London. They got 55 minutes into the journey, and he, I, and Dean Holden got a phone call that the game had been bespoke. We were on two coaches, and we had to pull over onto the motorway and speak to the players and coaches on the other bus. So they pulled over onto the hard shoulder on a motorway, two coaches. Yeah, okay, all right.
0: Mm-hmm. Then we turned
3: Then we turned the buses around and headed back to Bristol and got back about 5.30pm-ish. We had to spend some time in isolation until we could get the negative COVID test done, which I'm pleased to say in the last few days we've been back in training and preparing. So it sounds like they had sniffy-whiffies on, <laughs> the, on the training pitch and they kind of self-diagnosed it was COVID and the game that was not that day it was the next day in the evening they decided to just turn around and go back to bristol now does that sound plausible robin or this smell is it is it kind of growing
0: i don't know i think it's got to be pretty strong to get across to the virtual joint um it's what let me preface preface this by saying if COVID is a is a pandemic that should be treated seriously and games should not go ahead if there's a risk of a major outbreak. However, the circumstances surrounding a game being called off, it just seemed as it's it seemed as though they just didn't turn up as opposed to it being called off. It was it was sort of it was so un unprompted really it was sort of oh there might be potentially possibly someone maybe having sniffles and symptoms therefore but therefore we're going to cancel we're going to cancel the match but what i don't believe is that all available testing centers and testing facilities during a global pandemic were closed just because it was new year's day i i categorically categorically refuse to believe that and until evidence to the contrary does come out I will continue to refuse to believe that. So that's that's where that's where I get, I'm, I'm starting to smell something horsey. Nick,
3: you live out in the countryside, you're used to so- silage and muck spreading yep. is, is this a similar smell or are we being harsh?
2: Uh, I, as you say Dave, on, well, on the day of the cancellation I thought no professional football club is going to act in a manner that if they get caught, they could be severely fined, bringing the league into disrepute, all, all that sort of stuff. But as the, as the days have gone by, and there's been no news about Bristol City having a, a, a COVID out, uh, outbreak, and this is the second time, incidentally, that they've had an outbreak, or, or possible outbreak. They did have one back in November, during the international break, which apparently closed their training ground. I think something is becoming a bit more stinky about this. And what's interesting is what the EFL rules on it because today we get the news that Derby, um, Derby's first team, Wayne Rooney and Derby's first team squad, I'm reading through the BBC website, will miss Saturday's third round FA Cup tie away at Chorley following the coronavirus outbreak which closed their training ground on Monday. So uh, the Rams team for the game at Victory Park, that's Chorley's ground, will be made up of under 23 and under 18 players. And FA Cup rules state that clubs are expected to fulfill their fixtures if they have 14 eligible players, including from the under 23 and under 18 squads available, although there is scope for appear. Now, so, you know, why doesn't that apply to the EFL and to the Championship? It's going to be a difficult season. Things are, this pandemic is going to affect every single club in some way. I'm sure, you know, I think we've been lucky, touch wood at Brentford, not to have suffered any, any, any problems so far, but it's bound to happen why is the rules different for Bristol City?
3: Um, Well, we've asked, well, we, Jim Levack, who is a regular contributor for Besotted, um, he's a freelance journalist as well, he's written to the EFL asking for clarification, and and I think we're going to get the the details of their investigation. Apparently, they are looking at this seriously. Um, I, I don't, Obviously, I'm not privy to kind of whether they're suspicious. I think obviously it will be a you know a full and open, um, and as I say, you know a trawl through the the, the, the the information and the the, the, uh, the timeline here. But Jim cc'd me in um, also to the uh, to the letter he sent to the EFL, So this is what he's asked, and i um, hopefully we'll get some clarification in the next day or two. Um, this is again I'm quoting from Jim here. Please could you provide guidance on the outcome of the Bristol City FC Covid test following the suspected symptoms that forced the suspension of the game of Brentford. Circumstances surrounding the suspension and the lack of testing availability at a time when City had 11 first team regulars out through injury did raise eyebrows among supporters who deserve to know the outcome of the tests. Could you further provide me with information about the findings of the EFL's investigation into the issue and offer clarity on the difference between suspension and postponement in this instance? Without any further information in the public domain, supporters are not unnecessarily left to infer, sorry, are not unreasonably left to infer that there were no positive tests and that the suspension postponement was requested as a matter of convenience for the away side. That may well not be the case, but I'm sure you will agree that any lingering suspicion would, in the eyes of some, suggest an element of mischief at play, and I'm sure the EFL are committed to an honest, open, and transparent process. The issue was, and still is, the subject of much conjecture amongst fans, so I'm looking to end that and provide some clarity around the overarching integrity of the competition. And as I said, that, that was sent to the EFL's media team um, earlier today. Um, we don't have any answer back, but we, um, we we hope to get some sort of clarity in the next 24, 48 hours. Is this something that, you know, Brentford will be concerned about, Robin? Or do you, do you, do you think, do you not think we're bothered about? It? Did it suit us too? I'm not saying we're implicit in this, but, you know, do you think they kind of shrug the shoulders and go, OK, we've got a weekend off? Or do you think they would have preferred the fixture to be fulfilled?
0: I think it's it's you have to balance momentum and um, respite I think what with, with the Bristol City game being called off we gained some rest uh, to make us fresher for the Tottenham game but we lost the momentum of um, how we were playing I think uh, you, you said earlier on uh, in the podcast that when you're playing well you want games to be coming thick and fast um, and I can completely agree with you I think the Bristol City game, I was trying to positively look at it and go, yeah, that probably helped us get get rested for um, for the Tottenham game. However, I was kind of thinking, you know, we've we've beaten Bournemouth, we've got Spurs, we've got Spurs next week. We you know we could really do with this against a, let's be honest, and not very good, very well drilled and not very informed Bristol City team I think there's a real opportunity for us to beat them and um, and go on with a bit more, even more confidence against Tottenham uh, I don't, personally I think the way Thomas Frank comes across, the way the players come across um, I don't think they've f- thought the first thing about it, I think they're just focusing on the Middlesbrough FA Cup game now and then the next league game at Reading after that, I, th- I don't think there's any focus being drawn to what could have been if they had played Bristol City, I think Thomas Frank has got them drilled that way Nick, what do
2: you think, mate? I I think that there is actually, I was looking through some of the later quotes that um, Dean Holden made to to his press conference. And he says, the EFL made the right call to call call the game off. It was disappointing and we were fully prepared to play the game. But that doesn't stack up with the quotes that you read out earlier. No,
3: it doesn't at all. But, okay, I mean, so I mean, you know, again, we're not privy to to all the facts, but as I said, you know, it, 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 the 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 longer um, quotes that you know came out at uh, the, the press conference, the timeline, um, it suggests that you know it's, it was a decision that they made themselves. So, yeah, we'll 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 see what happens. Um, well,
2: one could argue, one could argue that Bristol City by using the COVID pandemic as an excuse um, to try and not play a game because they had 11 players injured. If the ALFL find out that 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 was the the case, Bristol City needs to be hit not only with a large fine but with a large points deduction. And so So they could well be be rivaling Sheffield Wednesday going down because of the points deduction. It's just just, what doesn't stack up. I'm serious, you know, it is absolutely, you know, the integrity of the the championship has been put at risk by what Bristol City, if they are gaming for it. And if they have gained it, they need to be punished for
3: it. It's just, it's just this this one sentence here, you know, so we came in on Friday for a normal preparation day to do some video analysis and some out on the grass training. It was clear that out on the grass, there were symptoms in the squad. How? What? What are they just all on their knees, like coughing and?
0: Spouting? I wasn't. I wasn't aware. Sorry, I wasn't aware Dean Holder had a, a doctor in medicine. I think. I think. I just. I, again, I think that's the the major concern for me. It's not really the the game being postponed. Games have been postponed because of bad weather and uh, fixture congestion and things like that. That's not the thing that bothers me. It's. I. It's innocent until proven guilty. But I'm really, really hate the idea of Bristol City injury hit, not playing well using a global pandemic that's causing so much grief for so many people to their advantage and essentially profiteering from it in a more moral way than financial way i hope that's not the case
2: teams often put you know teams often put junior players under 23s we put academy players on our bench to fill up the numbers and if the worst comes to worst sometimes those academy players need to come on uh, or b team players need to come on in this case that's what bristol city should have done
3: as you rightly said, innocent until proven otherwise. But we've we all smell something, you know. On, on a on a, on a scale of one to ten, how big a smell do you do you, do you, do, you smell, do you smell, Robin?
0: Um, I'd say uh, the toilet's safe to use, but give it a while.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> oh
2: God, <laughs> Nick! Nick, um, you got any, got any farming? farming uh, analogies yeah 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 i mean this is time this time of year farmers do not spread muck on their fields but i'm smelling muck being spread
3: yeah it's 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 it's, it's bigger than a little fart but it's it's i'm not quite sure it's the full uh had okay, had okay. a sellotape behind the radiator me, quite yet yeah, but we'll see we'll see right time for a twang we'll move on we'll let the efl do their thing and we'll talk about loans and potential signings. <music> loans, transfers, the transfer window, the threat of losing players, we, we're getting used to it. It's None of us are that happy about the transfer window opening because it normally means that uh, we're waiting for vultures to come and swoop. Um, I'm not sure it's going to happen this time. The, the, what's your thoughts, Robin, where, where, where do you think we're positioned in this 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 whole kind of to in and fro in
0: uh, well this transfer window I think we're in a far more powerful position than we've been in before uh, I think we've we in previous years we've sold key players in January and it's hindered our season but I think what this has shown is in, our, in the summer when we sold um, two of our most influential players in at last season's push, we've come back this season and we're even stronger, arguably, and we're in a better position than we were last season. We're fighting for top two as opposed to fighting for the playoffs. So um, I'm feeling quite optimistic. I think we've got some real gems in our in our squad, some players with raw potential, uh, which I'm sure we're about to go into. But um, I'm feeling quite I'm feeling quite positive. I don't see anyone going. I mean, in the um, in the summer. We, uh, it was sort of public knowledge that only Ben Rama and Watkins were going to be uh, offers, only offers for them were going to be listened to, and we've come out and said that no one is going to be leaving, uh, or being—I should say, no one's going to be sold this transfer window. So I'm inclined to believe uh, to believe what they say on that. Nick, names like Hi. Josh De
3: Silva, Rico Henry, Marcus Force, Ivan Tony—these are players that we've got. And they they constantly uh, call attention um, and transfer speculation. Can you honestly see any of those players, or any or any of our other kind of regular first teamers, uh, s- plucked from our pl- plucked from our grasp during January?
2: Not unless there is really silly money offered. And I mean, you know, we're talking the the thirty million that we probably got for Oli in the summer. Um, and unless somebody comes in with a bid like that and, and they're not, we're not going to be selling anybody. I have total confidence, Thomas Frank has said it at least, on at least one occasion, if not two, that nobody's going for sale this transfer window. I don't see why any player would necessarily want to move on as well. Um, you know, they're only likely, the only buyers are likely to be those down the bottom half of the Premiership. I mean, <clears throat> Sheffield United would be sniffing around for any striker when they can get their hands on. Um, you know, uh, there'll, there'll be a couple of teams down the bottom who probably would look at, at JDS, but they're, they're not going to pay the 20 plus million that, that both those players deserve to go for. Ivan Tony, we're not going to sell after six months. And Thomas Frank has said, we're not selling anybody. End of story in my case.
3: That's all right then. We can all sleep easy
0: tonight. I mean, I, I, Liberal Nick has decreed. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I think you know. I've, I've done, I, I, I kind of I have to agree. You know, I'm not. I'm not sort of losing sleep over the threat of, of losing players. It's that. It's just that you know we have. We have sent out a few on loan, which kind of, uh, it, it was a, a couple of head-scratchy ones here. And well, not head-scratchy ones, but I think the uh, Dominic Thompson move to, to Swindon on loan for the rest of the season, that kind of opens up some left-back uh, kind of question marks and cover for Rico. Um, we obviously know that, um, um, that Mads Beck can, can drift out Wider, but he's not really a wing back, is he? Matsbeck is you know, he can play there, but he's, he doesn't allow us that same mobility coming forward, he doesn't allow us to kind of you know, cross over and um, get you know, use our wing backs uh, strategy to its you know, its, its, its best potential. Were you surprised to see him go, Robin?
0: Uh, yeah, really, really surprised. I mean, I, I can understand why he wants to go and get some first team minutes. I think, um, uh, he's a He's he's obviously got some qualities about him, but the, it's it's an impossible task to displace Rico Henry from the first team at the moment. I don't think I can't think of another left back uh, that I'd even remotely want in my um, uh, in my team at the moment ahead of Rico Henry um, from the existing crop of Championship players. But anyway, uh, I think the he, uh, first of all, best of luck to him. I think I he I hopefully Swindon treat him well and hopefully he gets uh, the right amount of game time and hopefully he does get games. Um, but that there is a big question mark now as to we are putting all our eggs in the Rico Henry basket with regards to left back. Before I come to you, Nick,
3: um, just Robin, last, you know, last sort of points on the, the left back position. What, what, unless we bring someone, we we're not really going to be bringing someone in, are we? If, we, if we've left, yeah. You know, so where does that leave us?
0: Well, that leaves us here. What, what you have to do is right. Okay, cool. They, they know what they know what they're, they're doing. They have known what they've been doing with regards to transfer windows for a long time now. So do, you you could possibly potentially like, like you said potentially play Mads back there potentially play Roslev there, um, I suppose maybe at a push Tarek Fosu could do a job there. Uh, Vitali Janelt um, I know played a couple of games at left back for Botcham mm-hmm. as well, so I guess that's an option there. And with Norgard getting his way back to fitness, that might be there as well. Or we've got the uh, young kid. Is it Lewis Gordon? Uh, from the B team uh, who's meant to be quite good who could again potentially step up and become another one for the Rob Rowan board um, but I, I think in these in situations like these while we might might be seeing the trees I think we're not seeing the wood and the directors of football and those that are in charge of uh, making sure that the squad is filled correctly and adequately um, I've got to trust them
3: So the, the other the other kind of um, the other sort of Developments really have been that we've we sent two goalkeepers out on loan. Ellery uh he's twenty-one. He's just signed a new deal, and he's he's gone to Doncaster Rovers for the rest of the season. He was previously been loaned out once, or, or at least once, to Boreham Wood, I think. Um, and, and Patrick Gunnison, um, he's gone back to Denmark to 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 an outfit called Silkeborg IF um, for, again for the rest of the season. So really, um, it's it's. It's David Raya and Luke Daniels all the way. That, that that should be enough, Nick, shouldn't it, for for the championship for, yeah, to, absolutely. to cover us?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'd, um, uh, hopefully. Um, I'd, unless there's a serious injury, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the thing about Ellery is that he's been around for a long time and he is obviously very highly rated, not just by us, but by England, the England set-up. Um, it will do him a world of good to get really competitive experience in a in the in the league. I mean, no disrespect to Ball and Wood, but Doncaster is a major step up for for that. Um, I haven't looked at Doncaster's record recently, but I'm sure they could do with a decent goalkeeper, and they're getting hold of one. As long as he gets the game time, I can quite easily see him gaining the experience because Rare is probably one of those players who might well be off in the summer, and I think. The more experience that somebody like Everly has of competitive football and a competitive league, the better for us come next season.
3: Now, I asked Robin about his concerns over the you know, possible left-back cover situations. Or you know, Are you worried
2: about that? I, I have, uh, like Robin, um, I have, we're all agreed with each other and amazingly you two have agreed with me twice on this podcast, which mm. is a record and a first, um, it won't last. <laughs>
0: I'm, not sure um, I, I'm not sure I like it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> there's another smell coming through here. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but, uh, but, but I think the directors of football will have something in place. I mean, what's interesting is that we'll have to be looking and shopping on these shores in the UK waters now much more than we have done in the past i mean because of the changes that have taken place as of january the first of this year it will be much more difficult to get in some uh dynamic left back from the bulgarian third division that uh, none of us have ever heard about so it will be interesting to see if there is a replacement coming in and if there is somebody out there in one of the lower british leagues
3: the other players that we've seen come back to the fold um, is uh, Halil Devasoglu. He's back from a loan spell at FC Twenty. There's uh, there's uh, rumours that he may be about to be signed by a Turkish team. He might be heading back to Turkey, uh, but that would that means he would have you know, whether he's there
2: able was to... A, there's a complication about that, Dave, because yeah, that means he'll so many... the third team in a season, so whether he's allowed to play,
3: that's the a... Yeah, we'll see, but I mean that, that wouldn't necessarily stop him making the transfer, it means he just wouldn't be able to play there for the rest of the season. Um, and then Luka Ratic, he's he's back from a uh, loan spell at Northampton where he didn't really quite get as many minutes as we all hoped. I think. I think we we all expect great things from him. Um, what, what do you think of the Halil situation and the Luka Ratchits, Robin?
0: Um, I think Halil uh, is a player that's. You know, he's. he's he, it's almost similar to um, the Emiliano Marcondo situation when he signed. He's arrived with a, a fair amount of fanfare without necessarily being known. A few good YouTube videos and maybe that. Maybe he he hasn't been. Uh, on the training ground, anyway, been living up to the hype that he um, he had previously. Uh, I, I hope I do hope he stays because I think he offers something a little bit different. He looks like I think he, from what I've seen of him, the small patches I have seen, he just looks like he could be a bit of a game changer. So I hope he sticks around. Um, he's certainly done more in his small short, small amount number of appearances for me than Sam Hodos has. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's that's a factor playing into it, but I'm not entirely sure. With Luka Ratchich, I think it's clear that. Um, he benefits a lot from having a Pontus Janssen beside him and a, uh, or a, uh, an Ethan Pinnick beside him, as well as having a coach like Thomas Frank to bring the best out of him. So I think um, um, it's a shame that it didn't work out for him at Northampton, but I'd rather he was here in the Brentford setup, not getting any games, than uh, sitting on a bench at Northampton. And
3: it was a year ago, almost to the day, that we kind of were take, slightly taken aback where Marcus Force was was loaned out to uh, to AFC Wimbledon. You know, we were expecting him to be in and around that, you know, the first team and, and as cover for for Ollie up front. And we thought at the time we thought that was going to leave us light. In in the end, you know, he got more of an opportunity there and he, he got his hamstring injury, so he you know he came back towards the end, but. You know, you don't, you're not expecting something similar to happen for Marcus, are you, Robin?
0: No, no, not at all. I think, um, uh, no, I think I think Marcus, Marcus Force will be is 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 a one-off in terms of um, his I think his potential. You know, he's been linked with teams like Borussia Dortmund uh, for crying out loud, and that, there's no smoke without fire, and you have to be pretty good to be uh, linked like that in a similar way that Drew Bellingham was. Uh, for Birmingham City, I'd, I'd, I'm I'm in, interested to see why he's brought them those, for example, Halil and uh, Luka back, but uh, not Joel. Is, is 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 the is the weird sort of thing because Joel Valencia more first team experience, uh, played a bit more of a role in after the project restart when uh, last season resumed. So why has he left him out, back out out on loan, and and not brought him back, whereas? Uh, we still, we've got Luka Ratchford back, who wasn't doing much at Northampton, and then Halil, who wasn't doing much abroad either. So, we can say so far he hasn't. Yeah, but, so yeah, far, so far. Uh, and
2: and yeah. we're assuming, and we're assuming now these players will go back out and learn somewhere else. No,
3: well, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the first week of it's the first mm. week of the new year, so you know, it's kind of like oh, this. Really, isn't watch this space thing? I think over the yeah. next three weeks, we'll we we'll probably have a lot more rumours for you. We're going to actually sort of keep get our, get our ear to the ground now and start uh, start scouring through the uh, those the, the, the overseas uh, online sports pages where you uh, <laughs> you kind of like, you got you know searching for the Brentford. Uh, hashtag, and uh, you know, uh, we we normally we normally unearth someone during this window. Are you, are you expecting incomings Nick?
2: No, I'm not actually, because I think um, we've got a strong enough squad as it stands. Left back is, is the position, but we can. You know, as we've discussed, we can jiggle around players, players in that position. I can't see it. I can't see. It. I think this transfer window is going to be really strange because of the, you know, that dreaded brew word. The changes that have been made. I think people will all be finding their, their feet and about how to do it. My guess is that there will be there will be sniffs for our players. I don't, and which just as I've said before, I think are going to be totally rejected. I don't see us spending sums of money. Um, partly because all the clubs will be having to hoard cash at the moment because they must be losing money hand over fist with you no know, spectators in the ground. And also because of the difficulties of getting work permits, etc. Or, or not the difficulties, the changes in getting work permits, etc. I think just need to be worked through. I think this is going to be a pretty quiet transition
3: The thing that kind of makes me suspect that there may be some activity is that we had such a short uh, Period between last season and this season. And I'm not sure it allowed the DOFs to kind of possibly do all with their. Business that they probably would have done if they'd had three months during seasons to to, to bring players in. So obviously we got Ivan Toni over the line, and there was a couple of others, but but, but no no other kind of like um, major ones for like three or four years time. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this window gives them an opportunity to bring in some people that they didn't quite have the, 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 the space to do their due diligence on back in the summer because we only had a couple of weeks, basically, while after losing to Fulham at Wembley um, and then starting starting the season with that Birmingham City game, it, it, it was literally madcap, wasn't it? So to, to, to do that as well, it seemed to be a little bit rushed.
2: A thought occurs, and I haven't actually, um, I, and I don't know the answer to this question, but is there anybody in the Michelin team who, of course, have got Champions League experience and therefore qualify for would qualify for a visa to play in the in the UK at the moment. who Brentford could possibly bring over from? Mitchum?
3: Po- possibly. There's, all, there's probably always a, a list of players that could swap in and swap out, but well, we don't seem to have kind of used that, route, Robin. Have we? It's kind of it's very exclusive. Although we sent we sent Emiliano back there to play for a bit, it's it's really they they've been kind of a different planet to us.
0: No, it's not. It's not been the sort. Of the whole Watford thing, which is, and I think it's Watford, Udinese, and uh, Club Brugge, where they were sort of, you know, swapping players around like they were playing cards. It was, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite, and I'm quite glad about that, to be honest. I, I prefer having a stable squad um, and not necessarily sharing players, just because I think that disrupts stability. Um, but if I do think back to last January's transfer window, we clearly needed to um, add a couple of players and we did you know we brought in Shandon Baptiste and Tariq Fosu um, because we needed an extra winger and we needed an extra midfielder so the fact that we haven't got a cover at left back might suggest to me that we are probably going to bring a left back in um, because you know otherwise why send Don Thompson out on loan I think it's So, for me, I do think we might be able to do some business there. And also, you've got to remember, we've got Shannon Baptiste to come back from injury and Jan Zambarek. So, in terms of midfield and the forward areas, I think we're fine. It's just that left back that I think we might have some activity on.
3: So, you kind of think that the decision might have been that Donald Thompson's done really well and they've made a decision that he just needs game time, so they've sorted him out. So, we might bring another left back as cover to then give... Possibly half a season to have a have a good look at them um, as a, an occasional substitute and and cover for Rico. So, but you, if that were to happen, you're expecting someone with a little bit more experience.
0: Yeah, just I'm not necessarily saying bringing in a, another class left back for like for example. Um, I don't know, a, like a Connor Townsend type from West Brom. I know he's premiership, but I can't think of it again because Rico Henry is a leap. But like an Omar Richards, I'm not saying we're going to bring in, you know, the, sec, the second best left back in the championship, but just someone who, at a push, could ha- could hold that position in case touch would that um, Rico, something happens to Rico Henry.
3: Okay, as I said, this is... Uh transfer window there are going to be rumors we'll get our ears to the ground and we'll start sniffing around if we can get the if we can get the stench of the bristol city out of our nostrils we might be able to smell out a transfer so we'll 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 take a twang we'll, we'll take a twang now and we'll come back and we'll talk about another cup run a beat up for the cup tomatoes <laughs> This is our seventh year on the trot. We got to the FA Cup third round. Um, it used to be getting a cup run was getting to the third round, and like, then you know it's just starting position. So uh, yeah, so it's it swings and roundabouts. So we we it's a game we probably could do without if we're honest with you. You know, it's, it's in terms of priorities, but we can't be hypocrites. We we accuse others of not taking the FA Cup seriously and respecting the traditions of the FA Cup. I guess we we have to we have to do the right thing and go fairly strong, but not too strong. You know, it's, it's all about the league, I guess, and keeping that uh, promotion push going for as long as is possible, and building on what we've achieved already this season. So Neil Warnock's Middlesbrough come to West London. It was it's not a it's not a mouth watering fixture. Yeah, although we did get quite excited, if I have to say, when the draw was being made, I think we all watched it. I mean, well, that was just like lockdown craziness, where we kind of uh, just, you know, just just potty for the some sort of suspense. Uh, we were one of the last out of the hat as well, weren't we? If I remember rightly. So when when Borough came, we kind of went, at least it's a home draw. Nick, what are your thoughts on the FA Cup this season and in general?
2: Uh. The FA Cup is a grand competition, grand old competition with a great history, which is now being rapidly disappearing. Um, it'll going to be the battle of the B teams, not just us, not just Middlesbrough, but I guess a lot of clubs this, this um, uh, on Saturday will turn out Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It seems to go forever. the FA Cup rounds as well because of the television companies covering every single game, um, but... Neil Warnock, I see, has said that he's going to bring in some under-23 players and their under-23 squad has been doing quite well uh, this year. So, look, Warnock, who is... If ever there was a traditional football man, Neil Warnock is it. And if ever there was somebody who would have thought would be absolutely up for the cup, um, Neil Warnock would be, would be that man. But it's all about trying to gain promotion to the Premier League, isn't it? For, for, for championship teams. So, Battle of the B-teams few under-23s from few possibly even a couple of academy players for us.
3: Robin, last season we played a very young team um, and we beat Stoke in the third round, which was a bit of a cup upset. We didn't expect, I don't think, to, to beat that team. Stoke were doing really, really well at that, at that stage. And then we played and Leicester. Um, which was televised on the BBC. Um, I think everyone was slightly disappointed at the time that we, we again, we fielded uh, reserves. Um, and, you know, we, again, we, we, we did okay. Was it 2 0 in the end? Um, so, was it 1 0? 2 1? 1 0. So, uh, it was a very early goal, if I remember rightly. And, yeah, it was uh, like fourth minute. Yeah. So, um, what are you expecting on Saturday, mate?
0: Um, I'm expecting a similar story to what's been the success of our Carabao Cup. I think it's going to be a, a weakened, uh, not a week. I say a weakened side. You know, our, our our essentially our B team got us to the semi-final of the friggin' Carabao Cup. So I don't think we should, I'm, I'm not going to um, mm-hmm. discredit those players by calling them a B, by calling them a weakened side. But I do think we'll see players like Charlie Good. I think we will see um, maybe Max Hagarth. I think we might see Mads Roslev, Luke Daniels, I think sh- certainly should get him. Get a get a game, um, as well. I think Marcus Force will start. I think Hasan uh, Hodas will start. Um, and I'm expecting. Um, I'm rather than going into it thinking, well, we're fielding a weakened team, so if we lose, there we are. I'm going into, into it thinking this is a really good opportunity for some of the players who are more on the fringes of first team action to really stake a claim. I hear exactly what you're saying, then, and that doesn't that does
3: to me. That doesn't sound that weak. That's, that doesn't, you know, as you as you rightly said, that that team have got us to the semi final of the League Cup. If we were to field that team, I think it's more than capable of, of, of beating a, a kind of weakened Middlesbrough team. Do you think there's a chance, Nick, that we could even go more youthful than the team that uh, Robin's just suggested?
2: Well, Robin's actually piqued my interest now um, in the cup, and, and definitely, on. What I'll be, I'll be definitely, I'll be definitely actually searching out the game to watch on however it's broadcast, probably, you know. on on the BBC iPlayer channel, Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, do we take it, do we take it off? Look, a cup competition is a cup competition, it gives experience, we've we've got a lot of players now, we've got quite a large squad, we've got to keep the players occupied and in competitive fixtures, let's go as far as we can with it. I just, you know, I'm just I'm not up for the
3: cup like you were 10 years ago. I, years ago. I, I, I agree. And I, I think there's no hint that, that any of the players are going to be kind of a little bit uh, less than enthusiastic about this. This is an opportunity for some of those fringe players to show that they deserve more minutes in, in the first team and to start for the for the Bs. So I'm, 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 only, I'm only kind of a little bit um, um, less than chomping at the bit because we all know as fans it's all about promotion and it's all about you know we've, we've just seen a, an F, um, a league cup semi-final against spurs this seems a different entity and you know we'll all watch it i'm sure but you know it's a different vibe i think we ought to head up to the northeast next and uh, talking of vibe we ought to hear from Johnny Bullock, Uh, careful how I said that, Um, and he's from the Borough Breakdown Podcast. Over to you,
4: Johnny. Hi, I'm Johnny from the Borough Breakdown Podcast, the Borough Podcast that gives Borough fans the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs of Middlesbrough Football Club. So Borough have really turned a corner this year uh, under Neil Warnock. And last year it wasn't particularly great under Woodgate. For whatever reason, we just couldn't grind out results. And it seemed to be in a relegation battle for the majority of the season, which was unheard of, really, when you think about Borough's history in the championship. You always tend to see them in the round the playoff places, automatic places, and being quite dominant at home. And it was quite the opposite. We just couldn't buy a win anywhere. Um, But Neil Warnock's came in... He's turned this side around with the hardest-working team in the league. We've had some really, really good results this year. The likes of Birmingham were just recently at Wickham as well, and we had to come back and win 3-1. But then also we've had good results against Cardiff and Bournemouth, etc. And, you know, it's been a very, very good season for us this year, but I think we're heading in the right direction, Neil Warnock, and I think he deserves a lot of praise for what he's been doing this year. I think the praise for Warnock doesn't just come with the results. I think it comes with the improvement of players as well. So this year we've seen really big improvements in Anthony Dyke Steele, but also Mark Ball, who was out in the cold, really. And he went on loan to, to Blackpool last year and just couldn't get a game. And he's come back and he's now a starter in the in the team. And he's just improved so much. Uh, we've seen improvement in McNair, Dale Fry. George Savile. we've had some good signings in Sam Marzi. Um, The whole team's just really stepped up and the signings that have came in have been very promising. Um, And it's just been nice to have that normality in terms of getting results in the championship. But Borough fans have no expectations. And hopefully, um, if we bring the right players in um, and some players who haven't been performing as well can improve, um, we might be heading in the right direction. Hopefully the playoff spot's. And I think the improvement needs to to come from the wingers. Um and maybe hopefully try and bring Camel Grzycki in or Yannick Balassi. the both names have been mentioned quite frequently. But in terms of our existing players and trying to improve them even more, I think hopefully Brick can start scoring goals a little bit more. He's been quiet this season, hasn't really gotten to the flow of things. And, you know, he's out of contract in the summer, so he needs to start probably buckling down to try and get that new club. um, He does have a great record for us, but hopefully he does start scoring a few more goals to try and keep us in touch and distance of the playoff spots. But in terms of everyone else, I think we've done very, very well this year. I can't really fault anyone else. I just hope we, we add quality to what we already have and get the depth in there and hopefully give it a good go this year and hopefully try and get in the playoffs. It's always exciting when would play Brentford. Uh, over the over the years, it's always been a great fixture, and I think it's starting to become a good fixture for, for both teams now, uh, given that it started to even out in terms of results over the last couple of years. Um, but I really like watching Brentford. I think Brentford are a, these are a good side. You play good football. You're well run. You know, you've just moved into that new new stadium. That shows the ambition that's there and hopefully you do the business this year and get yourselves promoted to the Premier League because I think it's it's very much deserved on your part. Hopefully it's not the expense of us, but I really do hope that Brentford can can do it this year. You know, the game earlier this year, well, last year, sorry, was a bit of a bar draw, a bit of a stalemate, and no one really created many chances. Um, I think it could be quite the same on Saturday. It, it's highly dependent on what teams Thomas Frank and Neil Warner bring out, but... For Bora, I think we're going to play quite a few of the reserves. Playing reserves like Nathan Wood coming in, the team. Uh, young players like Sam Falar and Isaiah Jones. Uh, I think British Lumberlonger might lead the line for us on, on Saturday. But then also we might see the return of Johnny Housen as well. So I think Mills's team would be a young, but then also a kind of reserve team where it gives Neil Warnock the chance to rest some key players like Paddy McNair and Dale Fry as well. So, it depends really on what on what Neil Warnock wants to do, but I do think he will rest a few players with his eye on the championship, and I'm sure that Thomas Frank will make changes as well. I don't think it'll be the best type. Of, I don't think it be the best game in the world, but it's going to be a it's going to be a difficult one for both teams for sure. But if you could push me for a, a score prediction, I did say on the Borough Breakdown podcast that I think Brentford will edge it two one. I just think that Brentford will have more quality on the pitch and. That'll make the difference, and I think he'll probably win two-one. Johnny, like us,
3: um, expects a weakened team. As you heard, what do you reckon the scores going to be, Nick?
2: Oh, there's a question. Three-two to Brentford, um, with Luke Daniels um, scoring an uh, amazing goal um, for, <laughs> in the final minute of the game. There we go. Now, if that doesn't incentivise you to watch the game, what
0: will? That's left field. How about you, Robin? What do you reckon? I don't think it's mock that Liberal Nick smelling. Um, <laughs> I think um, no, I've not made a single Brentford score prediction all season. Uh, so I'm going to continue that. I'm going to say it's going to be a low-scoring Brentford win. I don't know what the score will be, but I think it's going to be low-scoring. It's Neil Warnock, for crying out loud. Um, so,
3: sorry, sorry, Robin. There's some confusion here. I didn't give you the option not to give us a score prediction. Um, I asked you for a score prediction. Podcast. Come on, Robbie. Come on, you I'm going
0: to say it's going to be Brentford mm. and Middlesbrough. <laughs> no.
3: So one, you said 1-0 well, Brentford. Is that what I you said? I might have done,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah, I might well,
3: have done. I'm going to... Nick said 3-2. I, I think I think he's going to be goals in this one. I, I, I'm going to go 4-2. 4-2 go four, two. Four, two Brentford.
0: Oh. Are you also going for a Luke Daniels overhead kick? I'm not going. Forward? I'm
3: not going for a Luke Daniels goal, but I'm going for maybe two or three goals from Marcus. Force. Love on, guys. That, that I'm going, Love okay, home. Go, home. You I'll can pay go, pay for your year. Marcus Force hat trick is what I'm going to go. For. Love it. Yeah, well, anyway, let's wrap this one up. It's uh, been great chewing the fat with you over the over the last hour or so. Um, Good to get the the Spurs game out of our system. Um, Good to give Billy the B a break. He's been absolutely incredible this season so far. Um, How he's got the energy to do post and edit and produce two a week Um, I thank him um, massively for doing that Um, it's been a hugely busy time for me Um, I've had a lot going on in my life um, and uh, it's 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 been great that I haven't had to have the pressure of being able to having to edit stuff and you know doing that as well so thank you Bill for for stepping up to the plate and, and doing what you do so brilliantly um, it's uh, it's uh, again. It's just, uh, it, but it's also nice, really, to get behind the decks again to uh, to, to to kind of. Uh, I'm very rusty, but I'll, I'll be back. I'll do it again next week. I'll be better. I promise. I promise. That's so and all that's left for me to say is,
2: come,
3: come on, on,
0: you come on, come on, you
1: The Talksport fan network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends,